Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host. This week, we're interviewing Brandon Wheeler. Brandon is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a private practice in Central Houston, uh, and he focuses on depression and empathy burnout in caregivers. So taking care of a loved one has many joys and growth opportunities, but it can also take a toll on us, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. So if you don't think you need to worry about depression or feeling the blues when it comes to caregiving, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. So Brendan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Brandon, I was thinking about this, um, you know, this particular podcast on depression, and um, one thing that came up to me was uh, I have friends who are caregivers for other people, and um, and sometimes when they share their their experience to me, they sound pretty depressed. Uh, but it's hard to take care of someone. So, as someone who supports my friends who are caregivers. How do I make the difference between, oh, I think this person is depressed versus they're just going through a tough situation? Well, the difficulties of caregiving can include a wide range of inner experiences that would lead to burnout and, and or depression. Uh, and it really has to do with what's going on inside the individual's mind. Uh, one group of people that struggles are those who kind of resent the role of caregiving. Uh, perhaps they did not expect this or did not really want this job, but they feel duty-bound. And so uh, resentment uh, builds up, and uh, that can be a hard thought to wrestle with, that resentment. Uh, there's another group of caregivers who experience sincere gratitude in the experience. They like caring for someone that they love, uh, for for these folks, depression most often occurs after the person being cared for passes on. And then there's a third group of uh, caregivers who really struggle because they're working so hard, they burn themselves out. And this is the group that, in my experience, hospital staff really worry about because if the original caregiver passes on, then who's left to tend to the original patient? I see. So three groups, those people who resent being caregivers, the ones who like being caregivers, but suddenly the person passes and then then there's this void, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third group are the ones who are like working so hard, they just get burned out. Yes. And there's actually a kind of famous story related to that third group, the group that gets burnt out. Uh, many people know the, uh, the way Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash yeah. fell in love. There was that great movie a few years ago. It's, a, it's one of uh, music's most popular and, and beautiful love stories. Um, but few folks know about their senior years, uh, June and Johnny's senior years. Um, as, as happened in the beginning and all throughout the relationship, June was Johnny's caregiver. Uh, for for really his whole life, and later in life, uh, June developed heart disease, and uh, you know it, it was likely because she had just been working 
so much to help her family uh, be healthy, uh, maintain their religious values, and she had just worked herself into fatigue. Um, there was a day where June was going to have heart surgery, and there were complications during the surgery. She fell into a coma. And very sweetly, and as, as you'd expect from Johnny Cash, he never left the hospital while she was in the coma. Mm-hmm. He stayed right next to her bed, and about every 30 minutes, according to biographies of the couple, he would wheel over in his wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair and going blind from diabetes. Uh, but he would wheel over and he would talk to her, sing her songs. Uh, he would read from her favorite book of the Bible, Psalms. Um, but when she passed, Johnny was absolutely consumed by the grief. He literally surrounded himself with pictures of her. He had the inside of his elevator at his office uh, painted to have a mural so he could look at June while he was riding the elevator. Uh, right before she got ill, he was working on uh, a record, uh, which actually got a lot of awards in the early 2000s. Um, and after she passed, he tried to work to finish the project, uh, but his voice would come and go. He was just really too weak. And Johnny Cash died only four months after June did. So it's really, I've heard that before, that it's not uncommon for older couples who take care of each other. That, I mean, there is that burnout, you know, which right. can lead to physical problems in one of them. But sometimes people do pass, you know, uh, you know, within a short time of each other. Yeah. Johnny's main caregiver was gone. Was gone. Um, let's go back to the first case, the, 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 the what I call like this odd curve, you know. So I have my uh, my brother-in-law, you know. His wife, you know, had a major stroke and she was, you know, only 59. And she's very incapacitated. And now he has to deal with that. That was completely unexpected. They were planning for their retirement. So... You know, if you are someone like this, you know, you've been dealt really a big curveball, sometimes early in life. What what advice do you have for people who find themselves in that situation? Well, the advice really, I think, is, is universal. Well, some different uh, particular advice is universal, whether it was expected, unexpected, whether or not you're caring for a child, a spouse, or a parent. Um, the first bit of advice I would say is to maintain some part of the original relationship. Mm. Um, when a relationship evolves to include caregiving, there is a dramatic shift in roles and expectations. Uh, but you started out as something else. And maintaining some element of that original dynamic is good for the caregiver and the person being cared for. For the caregiver, uh, it can be a way of addressing the confusion in these changing roles. Uh, for the person being cared for, it can kind of eliminate some of the shame. Okay. Like, I still have my partner, I still have my spouse, or I still have my child. Um, so how to do this? Uh, some people are very fortunate and they're able to outsource some of the caregiving. Um, there was once a, an older gentleman that I knew who was really struggling uh, with burnout and was not expecting to have to care for his spouse. And uh, someone said to him, said, you know, you can always hire someone to help, but you can't hire anyone else to be her husband. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, how to do this, say, for a spouse is uh, maybe even just like creating date nights mm -hmm. at home or in the hospital. Uh, you know, some kind of romantic little picnic or a favorite movie or some kind of reenactment of an early date would be very sweet. I think that's really a nice piece of advice that I've never thought about is you don't have to lose your spouse. You can farm out some of aspects of caregiving, but date night is a good thing or eating out, I guess, or something like that. That sounds really sweet. And uh, we do this for children often where we build in bonding experiences into the tedious and mundane, mm -hmm. you know, singing lullaby songs that maybe our grandparents sang to us or reading them books before bed or nighttime prayers. We do this with kids. Now we're just applying it to other relationship dynamics. Say if someone is caregiving uh, for one of their parents, uh, making sure that every week they're being intentional to ask questions, you know, tell me the time that this happened or teach me about that thing. Uh, that way there's still the specialness, the original dynamic. So in a sense, it's like, don't forget about the real person behind that and just don't get buried into all the tasks. That's I mean, a the wonderful, tasks are important, but... Yes, the tasks are important, but that's a wonderful way to say it. Don't forget about the person. Don't forget about it. So, you know, ask mom and dad a memory, or maybe you can still ask them for advice on something. You know, how do you cook this? What was the recipe for that? That kind of stuff, right? And, just because they're real people. And if we're tending to someone who, say, has dementia and their mind is going... If they can't answer the question you ask them, well, then you can just ask them, hey, what else would you like to tell me about? Okay. Let's go back to that second category you were telling us about, which are the people that, you know, that the, they found, you know, great fulfillment in the caregiving, and then suddenly it stops. And so it was a big part of their life, and then suddenly it's over because the person passes away, or, or even the person doesn't pass away. But maybe they're in an institution now and somebody else is in charge of the caregiving. So how do you deal with that, kind of like that void? This goes to my next tip, and that's to find your third place. Uh, someone's first or second place, typically, is their home or their work, uh, depending on their order of priorities and stage of life. A third place is something separate from the first two that contributes to one sense of identity and gives a sense of community. Uh, sociologists have talked about the importance of third places for decades, and it's become so mainstream that even Starbucks has built it into its corporate mission statement. Okay. Uh, and uh, the idea is to have somewhere that's easily accessible, both in geography and cost, uh, that involves face-to-face -face interactions, um, is on kind of neutral ground where there's not uh, social stratification. These are all elements of an excellent third place. So what would that is, is it like a, a hobby type thing that we're talking about? Or is it like a community, like a support group? Or you know, is it like all of the above? All of the above. Some people find this in their religious organizations, at their local YMCA, support groups. Uh, it is essential to have third places uh, so that something other than our role as caregiver gives us identity and community. 
So let me ask you a question. So I had a friend who lost her husband, you know, after caring for him for cancer. And for a while, she didn't want to do anything. She just wanted to be home all by herself. If you are fine and you're looking at someone in this situation, is it best to say they're going to find their way eventually? You know, do you stand by? Do you nudge them? What, what's the best way to react? Mm, that's a tough one because you want to honor their autonomy mm -hmm. uh, while at the same time acknowledge facts of human functioning. Uh, people, we're not so different than dogs. We're pack animals, tribal creatures. We need connection to others, uh, physical, mental, emotional. And so you're the friend who only wants to say, stay inside. I would certainly give them some space, but I would also ask them to join me. Perhaps they can help me because I'm nervous about something. Come with me to, to this place to be my support. It gives them a role and so that they're not the problem, but they're still getting out of the house. That's a clever one, right? Since they are caregivers, give them a role. You know? I'm a therapist. We're trained to, okay. to be manipulative, but for the right reasons. <laughs> for the right reason, right. So um, let me ask you, uh, also for those of us who are not therapists, right? And we're witnessing, because of our age, and, and, and a lot of us are going through different stages, so we're witnessing friends who are in these situations that to us seem to be very difficult. Um, are there some warning signs that we can we, that we can watch saying okay this person is not just grieving they, they're moving toward like a, a darker side of things you know it, uh, how can we identify you know, what's the difference between grief and normal kind of depression because things are changing so clinical depression or anxiety or even severe burnout will come if someone feels a lack of control, which is pretty common in caregiving, mm -hmm. uh, if there's a high workload, if they're feeling overwhelmed, uh, if they perceive the situation as unfair, I didn't deserve this, or the person that I'm caring for doesn't deserve this. Um, but here's the kicker. For somebody who starts losing positive connection to the person they're caregiving for, if they begin to resent them or just treat them as a chore or as a disease, ooh, that's a big sign that that the individual is really struggling. The caregiver is really right. struggling. So then, what's the advice? Like, how do you help people? You know, would you? You know, is your advice to refer them to a therapist or you know, what are the resources out there for that? That's a great question. Um, so, is therapy a necessity? Not really. Uh, going to a therapist is like going to an accountant to pay your taxes or going to a physical trainer at a gym. You could probably figure out a way to do it on your own, but you can be much more efficient mm -hmm. and effective in that effort by going to someone who has experience in addressing it. Um, same thing with medication. Some people, yes, they do need medication. as kind of a lifelong thing, but for most people, it's a way to get over a speed bump. It's mm. to increase efficiency and effectiveness. So what's my advice? Uh, well, one, find your third place. Two, maintain some part of the original relationship. And then three is tell others what you need. Huh. I don't know, I don't know what it is about our culture, why 
why people get so uncomfortable around death and illness, but everyone does. And uh, so people, sometimes they tiptoe around the subject and avoid it. Sometimes they try to push their meaning on it, whether it's religion or, or giving the experience some kind of meaning. Oh, this is happening for a reason. or It'll lead to better things. Well, the, the caregiver or the person suffering um, who's being cared for, that may not strike them as true. Mm-hmm. So as the caregiver, tell people what you need and what you want to hear. You know, it means a lot to me for you just to come and sit at my house and you watch TV and I work on my hobby and we don't talk, but you're just in the room. Or uh, take me out to a place where I can have some fun or just talk to me. But, but broadcasting our needs is a way just to cut through all the discomfort and uh, to help everybody deal with the situation better. And, and really for a lot of us, that's not really comfortable. It's oh, like for, we want to be the caregivers. We don't want to say, I need anything. Especially for the people that find real identity in being a caregiver, absolutely. They have a hard time asking for their needs, and to which I would say it's okay to be a little humble. We all feel pain. You can feel pain. You can allow yourself to grieve. You can allow yourself to be loved. So caregivers out there, if you're listening, you deserve to express your needs. Absolutely. Right? And you deserve to be loved. Absolutely. And you deserve to say what you exactly need in life. Absolutely. Okay. So, Brendan, thank you so much. That's all about the time that we have in this podcast. But before we go, I would like to know, what is the last piece of advice that you would want our caregivers to hear today? The last piece of advice I want to share is something that AARP actually uh, helped sponsor and collaborated on and uh, was developed by a local nonprofit called Care for Elders. And that's their senior guidance directory. Uh, It can be found online if you search senior guidance directory, Care for Elders. Um, The organization's uh, manager, Josh Reynolds, put together this fabulous directory that really captures everything in the Southeast Texas region. It's it's really a miraculous resource, and I would encourage people to access that. Um, I know they can pick up physical copies uh, from AARP and at other community sites. Thank you, and actually, I think we uh, covered this. It's one of our podcasts, so if you're listening, look for the podcast where we talk about the Care for Elders directory. It is fantastic. So. Um, Brandon, thank you so much. So we've been talking today with Brandon Wheeler, who is a licensed family therapist here in Houston. And Brandon has given us some fantastic insight on um, what to do um, and catch depression early uh, for caregivers who might uh, you know, feel burnout. So to find out more about Brandon and the topics we discussed today, uh, or to access ARP resources to help with caregiving and depression, I'm inviting you to visit us at www.aarp.org forward slash Houston. Um, next week on Prepare to Care, we will be talking about long distance caregiving. And I am going to be bringing a special guest from France. That's my dad, uh, for whom I'm caregiving long distance. Um, And we are going to talk about what you do when your loved one lives across the country 
or across the world. So how can you still be helpful and supportive even when you're not present physically? Um, so next week, long distance resources. Um, again, uh, thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for caring.